She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and audience, I am very excited to bring you a dear friend and brainy badass who I've known for years from the D&D tables when I first learned to play D&D. I played with Mr. Steve Townsend. Steve who are you? What can you tell the audience about you? Hey, I uh, hello, audience. I uh, came from a theatrical background, was an actor, then became a writer and a D&D designer. Designer. D&D designer. Yeah, like, he, D&D like, helped designer. write the books, guys. He's, like, deep down the cavern of nerddom. I love games. I love games. And, and in fact, in fact, the person that I'm talking about today, I, I discovered her through games. I'm I'm now also a uh, a photographer and I do science fiction fantasy and historical portraiture which yeah. uh just recently featured Miss Sarah Gorski. It did. It did. Or it will. It will. It will very soon. <laughs> it hasn't dropped yet when we're recording this but yeah. maybe when this episode comes out it will. Steve, I'm so excited to have you today. Before we get started though too, I also want to ask you, what is your personal definition of the word broad? A woman who makes an impact. Yeah. And that yeah. could be, you know, in any, any, any way, like somebody who walks by on a street and, uh, and like wears a flashy costume could be a broad. Could be a broad. I love your definition. It's great. I asked that of everybody who's a new guest. Um, so Steve, who have you brought us today? I have brought Izumo no Okune, who is uh, significant because she's uh, like a Japanese broad from the 17th century, 16th century. Uh, and she's, she's, yes, notable because she invents one of the two major classical theater styles of Japan. Oh shit. I might know the answer to that because I, I'm a theater person too. It's either no theater or kabuki. It, that is correct. It is one of those two. And the answer is kabuki. Kabuki. Oh man. Some of the coolest theater I've ever seen in my life was kabuki theater. I have only seen videos of it and stuff from theater class. Like I learned about the two distantly in theater school back in the 90s. But I really, I have not yet seen like a live production. I saw when I was studying abroad in college, I I went to Moscow, to the Moscow Art Theater School. Mm -hmm. And they had touring companies come through all the time. And there was a, a tour of a kabuki King Lear. Wow. And it was some of the most intense two hours of my life. It was awesome. It was just like absolutely epic. And I know we're, we'll probably go and talk about like what Kabuki is later, so I don't want to ruin it, but it is. Yeah, yeah. There's something about theater in that style is just like so, it's so intense and it touches you like more deeply than other styles of theater. Um, but before yeah. we get to your woman, you said you found her through games. Tell me more about that story. How did you find her? So I passionate about games and I backed, I learn a lot from games. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, And I, I, I backed this game from Simon, uh, Cool Mini or Not, called Rising Sun. And I backed it on Kickstarter because it was full of beautiful samurai and oni and things. And I thought it was cool, but I had no idea really what it was or what it was about. 
And I, you know, I decided to start painting these things in my, in my spare time. And as I painted them, you know, hours go by and I start thinking about them and wondering about them. And like, you know, it's like, it's like a game is a seed and you start like, you start opening up the seed and finding the potential of what's within it. So one in, uh, during the pandemic, I was painting this expansion to the game called Dynasty Invasion and the game's artist had made this beautiful art of all these characters and they look different than the samurai like because they're an expansion and i mm. i was like are these like korean are these like mongolian where are these from and I, being a total nerd i looked on the artist page and i was looking at his art really closely and i noticed that in the web address he had put the names in the web address of each person that he based these characters on and i found out that all the characters in this expansion were based on characters from romance of the three kingdoms 14th century chinese novel and then i like did this deep dive on the the romance of the three kingdoms podcast learned all about these characters and i shared it with the board game geek world i was like i found out all this stuff oh my gosh this is where all these characters come from it's super great so then somebody goes well what about the japanese stuff in the game and so i'm like all right so i look at his art he doesn't put any names in his file names and i'm looking at there's a clan called the koi clan and they're all female and they're all wearing makeup, like white makeup with like red marks and streaks. And and I'm thinking like, did he make this up? Like, what what's the makeup about? And I noticed, though, that the, the daimyo, the leader of the clan, is wearing a mask. And I'm thinking oh. back to... Th- so, yeah, so I'm thinking back to theater school and I'm thinking about the lesson on Kabuki and No that we had in history of theater. And so I Googled No Mask. Then I Googled Kabuki. And the, the figure, the daimyo of this clan is holding a sword and a fan. That's like the the clan leader Uh miniature you got. I'm going down through a Google search in Kabuki. And then I see this name, Izumo no Okune. And I see a picture of a woman holding a sword and a fan. Ah, And it's saying that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, wait a minute. And so I start reading. And then I start looking at the makeup of the women in the the Koi clan. And I realize that the artist has based his leader of this clan on this historical figure, like the look of her. And then cast the rest of the clan as female because of Izumo no Okune. Oh my god, that is so cool. So that is how you found this broad. <laughs> okay, okay, don't say anything more because I want you to start actually telling us about her. But that is like one of the coolest <laughs> how I found yeah. abroad stories we've heard. <laughs> it's just strange. So this woman, Izumo no Okune, is, we don't know a ton about her. We don't know a ton about her, but we think she's born around 1578. And in Western theatrical terms, if we're thinking about what's going on in the Western theater, Shakespeare's born around 1564. So he's like 14 or so when she's born. So this gives you an idea. It's like it's in our, you know, Western culture's Elizabethan age is when she's born. And that is that still feudal feudal Japan then? Yes. Now during this time, it's been 150 years of civil war in Japan. They've had having a civil war. For 150 years. I mean, oh it's just God. like this massive devastation. And one of the reasons is because 150 years or more earlier, the shogun becomes the military leader of Japan and the oh. imperial leader becomes like a, the, the emperor becomes like a figurehead. Right. And it stays that way for, for a long time. But there's all these, the the daimyos, like the, the heads of the family don't agree with what the shogun says, or they want to rise up in rebellion. So they just fight and they just fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. And the end of the Civil War is also like the end of the samurai, right? 
No. Well, yes, yes, yes. Actually, it's it's not the end of the samurai. Guns in the West versus the old school samurai. Well, not not quite, not quite. They that does happen two hundred years later. The end of the Civil War is the end of the war like samurai. The samurai Uh, after, but we'll 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 get to that in a sec. But what's going on at this point is we're at the end of the Civil War, and we've got these three leaders: Oda Nobunaga. Uh, Hideyoshi Totoyomi, and finally Tokugawa Ieyasu. Ieyasu kind of ends the conflict and unifies Japan. It's in 1600. So she's not very old right now, and she hasn't gone and done it. She's about to do her major thing in like three years. So around 1600, he like unifies Japan, makes like a solid power structure, and in the next, you know, 100 years, kicks out the Christians, doesn't let anybody else come into Japan just totally shuts down Japan as an isolationist country for 200 years. So it's like a good thing because now no more civil war, but also like it begins this big, like a renaissance, but also a period of isolation. So in this period of isolation and, you know, after this 200 years, there's this shrine maiden living by this Izumo shrine, which is really old. Is shrine maiden like another word for priestess or like serving the priestess? Yeah. So I, I looked this up and so it is, it's like they did shamanic rituals and things but they also did sacred dances apparently her father was a blacksmith and she did all these like sacred dances at the temple and also maybe like sacred prostitution possibly maybe like the ishtar priestesses of the old days i'm not Mm. it's kind of nebulous people have brought it up but i don't know if that's totally true but she did i guess she was very beautiful and she did these she was a really good dancer so good that people like noted her for it okay all right yeah so they say to her you know what young izumo no kune you need to go and make some money for the temple like you like you say to a young woman who's talented you say go and go and make money for the priesthood so she's like okay and she goes 400 miles to kyoto who's which is the capital and she starts busking like you do when you're you know a young, young talented and, woman. A young talented woman who can dance. Like I mean it like today. But she busked to like a whole new level. So she was a good dancer, we know before. Mm-hmm. And so she goes to this dry riverbed uh in Kyoto, the capital. And keep in mind, like this is three this is like sixteen oh three now. So I, I this is the year that Macbeth or sorry, that uh Hamlet appears in print for the first time. It's the year that Queen Elizabeth mm. I dies, just to give mm-hmm. you some context. And she uh goes to this dry uh, riverbed and she starts dancing and busking but she starts doing stuff like uh, apparently she starts like imitating the priests and like making fun of them like, like making little sketches of them <laughs> like not to their faces but like really of the of the background she knows a lot of stuff like sketch and social commentary and like dancing and sketches mostly dancing at first apparently she's really successful and people give her money but she's like how big can this be <laughs> So she goes around the city and she starts talking to the prostitutes that are in Kyoto. And she's like, hey, you want to make a little money? (laughs) And so, and she's like, and then she starts talking to any like other outcasts or any, you know, just, just people on the fringes of society and is like, or women actually specifically on the fringes of society and says, Mm -hmm. hey, come and join my, come and join my troop. So she starts getting a whole troop of women to do these dances with her and like do this kind of like loud body stuff Mm -hmm. and it's now at this time we've got one other major one major theatrical form in japan and that's no theater which you mentioned earlier and that's mostly like they do it at shrines the main character usually wears a mask 
it's the theater of aristocracy. It's very mm. like focused on you know, custom and ritual. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. now there's a woman in the on a riverbed with a bunch of other women doing these loud, outlandish, crazy dances. And kabuki meant being eccentric or dancing eccentrically or wearing eccentric. Like it essentially means eccentric. Huh. But in the Japanese script, in kanji, this Japanese script, it's like music, dance, and skills is what it <sighs> music, means. Music, dance, and skills. <laughs> yes. And it's popular. People are flocking to it. People love it because it's just for regular people, like the common people. And it's like funny and and big and crazy. And so so she, it takes off. Uh, Izumo no Okuni decides, you know, I'm not going to go back that 400 miles to the temple. I think I'm just going to make my living as a <laughs> as a freelancer. So she uh, creates this movement that continues to get bigger and bigger. And it's exclusively women. That's so interesting because now it's known as a men's art form. It is. So this is fascinating to me because I only know kabuki as like men-only performance. And even still now, women aren't allowed to do kabuki. Like much like Shakespeare, it was like the men performed all the parts and the women's parts in the way that I learned what kabuki was in school. So this beginning, this origin story totally flips the script from what I thought it was. It, it does. It does. So, the, and so the reason for this is uh, because she does this for a while, and I guess she retires or disappears. She kind of fades off the scene around sixteen ten or so. But the the art continues. Another thing that she brings in to Kabuki is uh, the ha- Hanamachi. Do you you know do you have those in theater? Like the the like kind of runway that comes from the back of the theater to the front, like raised platforms, like instead of stairs. Yes. Yeah. Like they go, they connect from the, like the back of the theater all the way to the, um, to the stage. Like in, we're in Western theater, we often have like a proscenium in the theater in the Japanese theater at the time. Uh, she pioneers this idea of the Hanamachi, which is like these ramps or these, these platforms that go from the behind the audience all the way to the stage. And the reason for this, as I understand it, is that Kabuki was this thing that people would really get into and they would, uh, they would cheer for their favorite actors and their favorite characters and they would egg them on and shout things yeah and like as the as the art begins to develop and and like refine itself over time there are things like uh like in no theater was the main characters would wear masks but in kabuki it was a thing where you would uh it would use this like crazy face paint that would really uh that would really stand out and i i was uh listening to somebody who said that it was kind of like it it sounded like like kabuki at the time was like the glam bands of the eighties, like, and like kiss, you know what I mean? Like, so, like you're what you're, you're listening to your regular music or whatever. And then glam rock comes out with the giant hair and the, the painted faces and the, you know, and things that really attracted the people. It almost like sounds too like comparative to like clowning, like caricature and clown work. Yeah. Where you have like very exaggerated like obviously that's more of a western word and a western term but yeah yeah like and and in reading it i started thinking it sounded kind of like commedia and vaudeville which are two mm. things that we have i don't know how related it is to those at all but it's i i understand that like the the makeup symbolized things like the red on the makeup was was a character that symbolized strength and justice whereas blue signified villains and evil mm. and brown was like supernatural beings so in in kabuki it's very these very choreographed poses where the actor will spread their legs far apart and then they will 
move their head, like shake their head and then move their eyes really rapidly back and forth. And what that would do is that that would uh, attract the audience to that person and what they were mm. doing. It's kind of like, like zooming in and in an age where it's lit by candles, having somebody do that and make those movements shows you, you know, like who you should be looking at and what is going to be going on. Cool. So she starts all this. She starts, I mean, uh, this stuff evolves over time and her stuff at first was very, uh, like very dance oriented, but over time they begin putting stories on it and beginning and they, they make it like two kinds of things. Like there's a, I almost want to say comedies and tragedies, which isn't accurate, but it's like uh, domestic and historical. It sounds like Shakespeare's comedies and tragedies, like where the tragedies were like the nobles usually and the comedies were like the common people. Wow. Um, and they all had like a more, they all often had some kind of moral center to them. Like virtuous people should be rewarded and evil people should be punished. Uh, but mm. in a very like big, expressive, colorful way. Yeah, very expressive, except if I remember correctly, like the, some of like the tenets of Kabuki theater is that they actually don't do a lot of facial expression. So like they move their eyes and they do big body mm -hmm. movements, but their face actually stays very neutral kind of, which is like, so as opposed to like kind of like pantomiming and, mm -hmm, and mimicking, mm -hmm. like it's all the physical things. It's it's very like the way they walk, the speed they walk, how they raise their hair. It's all very specific, and expresses emotions like through body movement as opposed to facial expression. Yeah, if I remember correctly. I know that when I was reading about No, they were saying that some of the articles I was reading were saying that in No, only the main characters are wearing masks, and so it's up to the rest of the people not wearing masks to make their faces very expressive, and that might be different than oh. Kabuki. I know that uh, in, than Kabuki, I know Kabuki like the makeup is doing a lot of the. Um, is communicating a lot, at least uh -huh. for the for for a Japanese audience, where we might not understand. Interesting. Uh, Maybe anything. I'm mixing them up too in my mind because goodness knows <laughs> all my theater history classes don't all. <laughs> well, it's open. It's them. opened up. Like I now want to understand this more. I want to find out more about this. I want to see live Kabuki performances, but it will be very different than her stuff because, as you said, it's all men now. Now, how did that come to be? I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> So the Tokugawa shogun, it takes over and they, there's peace in Japan. I mean, there's, they, the samurai sort of lose their jobs as warriors, not all of them, but most of them, you know, they sort of go back. They're still a noble class, but they, there's no more constant warfare. They've mm. kicked the West out. So the West is not, you know, a going concern. Yeah. After a while though, Kabuki is so popular and people are, and the, and that there's like a loose moral question. And that a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the, so it's all women doing kabuki and a lot of those women are prostitutes. And so now there's this theater and prostitution or, or like kabuki and prostitution are sort of one and the same. Mm. And the Tokugawa shogunate is like, okay, no, like we've got to have some order. We've got to have some morals. We've got to have some standards. We can't just have everybody doing it in the street after the theater. That's not literally what they said. <laughs> that's my interpretation. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's interesting is that that's not even just a Japanese so right. we had an episode a few weeks ago about Charlotte Cushman and um, how in that time period here in America too, that like theater and acting was, was considered like the level just above prostitution. Yeah. And that like people like in the balcony of the theater, like that's where prostitutes would go to service their clients and things like that. So, and that's an, so that's Western culture. So it's, that's interesting that that parallel like crosses 
all of the hemispheres of the world at this time. I thought so too. Yeah, that that's exactly what I thought. I was like, wow, it's like, yeah, it's the same in both places. Yeah. So they so what they decided to do about it was this is around 1630, I think like 1629, the mm. Tokugawa shogun is like, okay, so only men now. We get the women out of Kabuki and there will be no more prostitution. Well, that absolutely backfires because the exact same thing happens with young men. Uh, I was going to say men are prostitutes too. <laughs> it's yes. And it was, it was, they did not solve the problem at all. In fact, it just continued the same just with met young men instead of young women. So like, I think around the 1650s, they were like, okay, new plan. No more young men, only old men, <laughs> only adult men. So, so from 16, like around the 16. 16- 30s to 1650s somewhere around there it was adult men forever mm. to this day actually uh with with an interruption around uh the the um world war ii where every where no and kabuki kind of like go away for a while and fortunately mm. come back but i've i've heard that the lines are now being slightly blurred like young women are like as children are coming in and doing kabuki and then like there's some i i heard that there's some possible instance of lines being blurred but in general no theater women do it and can can do it and be in it uh kabuki is still like a male art form to prevent prostitution (laughs) but yeah but created by a woman in a group of women you know women so also in that time period women couldn't really have jobs and make money so for i'm sure like the the people that she recruited were people who like really needed money to survive and they were looking to you know and maybe they were being a prostitute because that was like the only avenue available but then acting in a kabuki show is probably a step up from that right even if like you have two jobs your night job is (laughs) right i would think and i'm really i'm really attracted to the idea of that she did this because like you know my late teenage early 20 years i did lots of renaissance fair street performance in Mm. ohio ohio renaissance fair i did it for a long time and I, I loved the, um, I was always a peasant and I was always, uh, my character was big in dramatics, actor, poet, legend. And so we would do these, <laughs> we would do these like three man street theater things where we would just make up crap and people would come and gather around and it was just, you know, slapstick and crazy body stuff. Uh-huh. And, and so I read about the stuff that she did and I relate to it a lot. Um, yeah. And I just think about how. Like, and, you know, when I came to Chicago, I did a lot of improv and a lot of, you know, you know, making stuff up on the spot and creating uh, spontaneous art. And, and I, I love that she went out and did this and made this troupe and then created one of the two classical theaters of Japan. And it, it exists to this day that this woman did this out of yeah. on a dry riverbed. Like she like just put this together and it still stands. So you don't, so there really wasn't any information about like what happened to her after like she just disappears or did she amass a giant fortune and become like a really influential person or like what ended up happening to her? Do you know? I I don't know. There's like, there's one rumor that says, this is probably like going pretty far, but there was one uh, samurai that she incorporated into her work a lot, like into her tragic work. There's rumors that like he funded her, gave her some financial support before he died uh, in the early 1600s and that she retired around 1610. But her date of death is put as far as 1640, 
Mm. Some people say uh, 16, the year that she kind of disappears, like 1610. Some say 1613. Some say like 16, 1640. So who knows? She might have like, you know, I gone wonder why record keeping was so bad. Like they people were writing stuff down at that point. There is a cool, um, some art from the period that depicts her in on stage. Mm. And it's kind of cool to see because, you know, you see like, Oh, this is this may have been like you see the the way the Kabuki theater was set up, and it's from that century. So you think, okay, this is probably pretty ac- accurate. And it's like that globe picture that um, the only picture that we have of the globe where the uh, what the uh, he, he was a traveler and he sketched the globe, and then huh. he do you know the story? He sketched no. the globe. He was he there was a he was a traveler. <clears throat> might have been Dutch. I can't remember. He he sketched the Globe Theater, seeing a performance of the Globe, and then eventually the Globe burns down. But this sketch was found, and that's how we guess from his sketch, like where what doors might have been in the Globe, where the pillars were, and this is like what the modern Globe was was used to as inspiration to rebuild it. But so we ha- but we the point is we have this um, these this illustrations from the period that depict her on stage you know, we do have a record of her, you know, and she's pictured with that fan and that sword, which is what mm. the statue to her, which I think is in Kyoto, um, shows her with. Audience will have all these pictures up on the website too. So click on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com and check out her page because uh, you can look at all of those those cool things. Man, she is such a badass. <laughs> yeah. Talk about an epic, like, creator of an era of art, like someone yeah. who was so good at performing that they invented a whole new genre. Yeah, that's and not like, on my. And that it still exists to this day. Isn't that crazy? It's not on my resume. I don't have. <laughs> it's not on mine either. I like we we tried, Sarah. We gave it our all. <laughs> <laughs> our lives aren't over yet, Steve. It's still happening for us. <laughs> we still got still got some stuff to live up to. Oh, and she did this, you know, relatively young too. Yeah, um, how old was she when she went to Kyoto? I forget already. Well, like 23, 25, wow. 25 maybe. She was a smart, she was a smart cookie then. Yeah, she's like the, the Florence Pugh of the, <laughs> so, somebody who's young and successful and really good at what they do. Amazing. Thank you, yeah. Steve, for bringing her. She is amazing. What a great addition to Broads You Should Know. Oh, thanks. I, I just am so fascinated with her and I, I like, just want to learn more about her and, and, uh, and, and see some kabuki shows. Well, thanks, Steve, for being here. You've been such a great guest, and I look forward to talking with you next week where um, I'm going to bring you a really great broad. I can't wait. To learn more about Izumo no Ukuni or see the pictures that Steve mentioned today, go on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com and check out her page. While you're there, you should click on over to the About page and learn more about Steve Townsend. We've got his picture and bio, links to his work and the social media. Speaking of social media, we're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you're a fan of this podcast, then share us with your friends and family and also leave us a review. Those things really help new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you are really into this story about Izumo no Okuni, then you might like some of our other broad episodes too. You should check out Nakano Takeko, one of the last samurai women. And you might also like Charlotte Cushman and Eartha Kitt. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.